Hi, I'm Melissa Italiano, founder of Melissa Natural Perfumes and your host for the With Intent podcast, where I'll be bringing you insightful conversations with everyday inspired people living with intent. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, comment and share. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. A self-described perfectionist, Kat Snowden's well-honed senses and passion for natural perfumery has led her to notoriety as a natural perfume educator and scent designer for the Melissa range and other emerging and exciting indie brands. We're thrilled to have Kat Snowden with us this morning, who is currently travelling. Welcome, Kat. Thanks for being with us. You're welcome. Good morning. Kat, you have been in the natural skincare and perfumery business for more than 15 years now. How did you get into it? It started, I guess the interest stemmed when I was much younger, um, hanging out with my favourite auntie who was the hippie auntie. So she was she was into alternative, you know, meditating and essential oils, which was quite unusual back then. So we used to go and stay with her and hang out and we would make our own little blends and make soap balls with Lux flakes and then we would come home and make candles in in the garage with dad they were really ugly candles and we used crayons to color them but it was so much fun and then when I got older I, I suffered with quite bad eczema yeah so I started making natural soap to help with my eczema and it helped and it was fun so I just kept making more and more and then I went on and studied and self-trained and did some courses and and kept experimenting and practicing and here we are now and I, I actually you actually see that quite a bit from um, a lot of founders of natural skincare brands natural perfume brands have actually had issues with their own health and have and and that's how they've actually started their own businesses and why they've started their own businesses um, with your eczema Tell, tell me, what is it within um, commercial soap that causes, irritates the skin? So when soap is made, a, a coincidental byproduct of the soap making process is glycerin. So glycerin appears in the soap. Most of the com commercial manufacturers take the glycerin out to sell as a skincare ingredient or right. to use in creams and moisturisers. So commercial soaps are drying on the skin for that reason. Okay, yes, that makes sense. Thank you. Prior to launching Melissa and having babies, I worked in the wine business and was very fortunate to spend time with some of the very best winemakers. Their senses were and are very acute and refined. Their palate and nose had been trained to such sensitivities. I, I see similar senses in you, Kat. Your olfactory senses are, are very sharp. Is this something you're born with and is it innate or is it something you've had to develop? I think it's probably different for each person, but for me it was definitely something I had to develop. In high school I had to have surgery on my nose and I lost um, a massive amount of my sense of smell. I couldn't smell the strength of things anymore. I would make a cream and put some jasmine oil in there and I couldn't decide if you could smell it or not. So I'd have to ask my friends and families, is this strong enough? Do I need to put more or less in there? And then over time, I just kept working with, with the smells and analysing them and spending time getting to know them. And that's trained 
my nose and my sense of smell is better than it, it ever was. So you've really had to focus on retraining that, that um, your senses. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned before that there's a little couch that you go to <laughs> and you smell and you spend time on. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And is that part of the, part of the process? Um, yeah, I think so. There's a there's an ugly green couch in our building that no one else sits on, but I like to take my little scent strips there and just lie down on the couch and spend time smelling them, making notes, just really getting to know each of the individual smells and then the accords that I'm working on as well. I think there's just something about being in a a neutral space, being comfortable, not having emails, you know, going off in the background, just, just really chilling out and spending time getting to know those smells. And I think that's really helped me um, to analyse and to learn, to learn the smells really thoroughly. So you're connecting with each of them? Definitely, yeah. Now tell me why natural? There's no need to, in my opinion, there's no need to use animal-based there are so many plants in the world that produce essential oils and they they keep finding new ones new hybrids new species there's so much choice that there's just no need in my opinion to take things from another living creature agree so natural perfumery is largely driven by a need for you to be cruelty free and also um, for many including myself the ability to capture and experience the benefits of the energetic properties of the natural materials but it does tend to be more expensive the ingredients um, not necessarily the cost to the end consumer but um, because we have to remain competitive but the raw ingredients are definitely more expensive can you give us some insight into why the so natural perfumery ingredients come from plants and the yield can be quite quite low so for example rose petals they don't have a lot of the oil in them themselves so they need tons and tons of rose petals to produce a small amount of essential oil so that's reflected in the price it's the the amount of material the amount of labor um, how it's grown sustainable organic all of those factors come into play whereas your synthetic ingredients uh, are made in a lab sometimes they have natural components to them they might have a portion of essential oils in them but they're mostly man-made in a lab with with um, individual chemical ingredients so they're a lot cheaper to produce and that's why a lot of perfumers who aren't specifically focused on natural tend to prefer synthetic is that obvious cost and also um Cost availability, they can also be um, more consistent. So from harvest to harvest, there can be slight changes in the way the natural ingredients smell. But for me, I think that's part of the fun and the challenge. It keeps me on my toes. And um, cruelty-free and vegan is important to you? Yeah, again, I don't think we need to take from another living species. So we don't need to harm animals to get great smelling perfumes or to have functioning skincare products. It, it's just not necessary. Can you give us a little more insight? I know we've had discussions and you've helped me become aware of some of the things they do to actually extract the, the scent from animals or the product that they need for the scent. Can you give us some insight into that? Yeah, sure. I guess my favourite example is is ambergris that comes from a whale. Mm -hmm. So it comes from when they eat cuttlefish, the cuttlefish can scratch um, their stomachs 
And then the wound is sealed with, with the blood and pus. And um, as the wound seal, uh, sorry, as the wound heals, that breaks away and they expel it out their mouth and it floats around in the ocean being bleached by the sun and then washes up on shore. And it's a beautiful um, perfumery ingredient. The scent is phenomenal, but there are some really close plant-based alternatives that smell just as good. So I prefer to work with those. So to me, that sounds like quite a natural process for the animal. Yeah, I guess that is an example of a more natural kind of way of of the ingredients coming from animals. But the fear is that that ingredient is banned. So if that ingredient were more commonly used, then whales may be captured and harmed in a way of farming the ambergris to get to get bulk. So that makes complete sense for its ban and plant-based alternative. Is there another example where animals are harmed? Um, so castoreum is an example. It comes from beavers. It's um, a secretion that they use to um, grease their fur and to also mark their territory. And it, it's taken, it can only be taken from the beavers once they've been killed and then they take the sacks and dry them and then they're used as a perfumery ingredient. Right, okay. So, yeah, we feel good about being cruelty-free and vegan um, because I certainly don't want to see any animals die as a result of, of scent. I, I guess that's one plus about synthetic. Have they mirrored that scent with a synthetic fragrance? They have, but there's also plant-based alternatives that, that are pretty good options as well. And actually have all the benefits of the energetic vibration and the properties of, those, of that material. Let's chat about sustainability in perfumery. You and I have agreed that we will only include natural, sustainable farmed ingredients in the Melis range. Um, is it becoming easier to access sustainably farmed ingredients? Yeah, definitely. Um, the suppliers are becoming a lot more aware of, of what the world wants and they're, they're really coming to the table with that. So there are lots of options available for sustainable ingredients. And it's really great to see the shift towards that. I was at the um, Australian Cosmetic Chemists Conference uh, maybe two weeks ago, and there was lots of talk. There was a couple of lectures on sustainability and, and what the industry is doing towards being more sustainable for the future. And it's, it's really fantastic to see. Um, and is, it, is there traceability right back to the farms? Like how, how in depth um, is it becoming? Yeah, you can trace the ingredient right back to the farm, to, to the person that grows it and the methods that they use, um, the, you know, the employment conditions, all sorts of things. Great. So that's becoming common practice in, perfumery, in natural perfumery? Yeah, for the natural ingredients, it's definitely becoming a lot, a lot more readily available, the information. Perfumery is becoming so much more accessible we certainly let our customers know the ingredients in our sense. Why has why there traditionally been such a secrecy and mystery around scent? Um, I think it was very much that, um, that inner circle kind of secret society vibe. You know, you picture the middle-aged man in a, in a lab coat and it's very, um, very limiting. You have to be a certain type of person to be in that realm. But I think now with with people self-educating, with the courses that are available, with the materials and ingredients that are becoming so much more readily available. It's not so, um, 
it's not so mysterious and unknown anymore. And particularly in Australia, we have so many great native ingredients that I think you can learn so much from, from the Australian plants that you're not necessarily missing out if you don't go and learn perfumery in France. Kat, can you give us an insight into your process for creating and formulating a natural scent and how that can remain unique when we're so informative about the individual ingredients that go into the scents? Yeah, so the process is super involving. So I've got um, probably about at least a dozen different suppliers that I work with. And on top of that, I'm starting to go direct to the source a lot more for my ingredients. So, you know, the same species of, of clary sage from different growers, from different climates, different parts of the world, different processing methods can smell very different. So unless you get a hold of exactly the same clary sage that's in our blends, it's going to smell different. Also, the methods that I work with, so some oils are solid at room temperature, so how do you go about um, heating them, melting them down so you can work with them and to what temperature because that can change the way the ingredient smells as well. So there's, there's lots of ways to be honest and open about your ingredients but to still protect your intellectual property so that your blend remains unique. With regards to the blending process, can you please share some natural perfumery one-on-one for our listeners, the basics? Um, In my workshops, I like to teach that top middle base note is not super important. It's a very um, simple system, which I think is super subjective. So we all smell things differently. I might think something is a base note because it's so potent and long lasting, whereas someone else might smell it and think it doesn't have as much longevity. So it's a middle note. So top middle base note is important but coming up with your own rating system for those top middle base notes is even more important in my opinion. So I've ranked all of the ingredients that I work with as to whether they're a top middle or a base note in my opinion, how, how long the scent lasts for the layers, all those kind of things. And then you need to have a certain amount of top middle and base notes in the blend for it to be synergistic. And then accords is something different. So an accord is taking the individual components and making an, an accord. So for example, um, I made a woody accord for modus number seven. So it was taking all the naturals that I wanted um, that had woody elements to them and combining them in a way that they were my kind of perfect vision of woody for that particular perfume. For a lot of the Melissa scents, I, we really focused around a heart note. So um, your briefs were so in depth that it was really great to work with. So we often had a Mandy, for example, was to be a rose geranium based perfume. So there's your heart note and you build your accords, your complementing notes around that. And then we're adding things in that we would call modifiers. So filling gaps in the scent, tying things together, building the layers. And I guess that's it in a nutshell. And for you, tell me the layers. How many layers? Can there be too many layers? What's your ideal? I think um, every ingredient, in my opinion, has to be there for a purpose. I think you can definitely get carried away and put 
in too many ingredients. So then it just kind of becomes muddy and gray and there's too much going on. So I think a really good skill for a perfumer is knowing when enough is enough and when to stop. It's very easy to just, you know, a few drops of this and a few drops of that, but sometimes simple is complex. Agree. Less is more. A great philosophy that applies to so many crafts. So tell me, what are some of your favourite ingredients to work with? Um, I really love labdanum, which I use as an, a plant-based alternative to ambergris. I love clary sage. Clary sage is something I never used to like and I, I think it's a mature scent. So perhaps as I've gotten older, I've started to like it more but it has such depth and complexity and so many layers for an individual scent. I often find in the perfume workshop that if someone thinks there's something missing to the, to their blend, my go-to is always clary sage. And I think 99% of the time it just makes that blend pop. It's just a beautiful ingredient to work with. Such a cleansing energetically. It's a, it's a great cleanser as well. So I think everyone, I think clary sage should be in every single perfume ingredient. So you did mention Amandi a minute ago, and I know that there's, there's, it's the same species or different species from four different countries. You know, how many different countries will you go to? As many as I need to, to find what I want. So using the four different rose geraniums in Amandi wasn't about, you know, being special or being, being showy or anything like that. It was about each one had a little bit of a different, um, scent to it so the geranium that i use in the mandi that comes from egypt is like a bluey green color when it comes from the bottle and it, it again has a little bit of the green aspect to it whereas one of the other rose geraniums has got that real floral typical rose geranium smell so it's about again building an accord that in my mind is the optimum perfect rose geranium Certainly we've found the Motus number four, Motus number seven is unisex and a lot of women are loving it. We're calling it a cologne just so the men don't get put off by it, but it's certainly designed to be unisex. Um, tell us about some of the key ingredients that are referred to as more masculine versus feminine and, and um, how you balance that when trying to make a unisex blend. So I guess a lot of the more masculine scents are the ones you would expect. So your woodies, your spices, some of the orientals. So it's about using them in conjunction with some of the other feminine ingredients to get a nice balance. I, yeah, I really hate men's fragrance and women's fragrance because there's lots of men that love floral feminine fragrances and there are lots of women that love masculine smoky woody animalic fragrances and they all they work really well like one of my one of my really blokey mates came into one of my workshops and made them a really masculine blend that was full of rose geranium and i i was totally shocked and it, it just worked so there's no need to pigeonhole the ingredients into to men's or women's in my mind i just think if it works for you and you love it then wear it all the time you know, you've been conducting perfume blending classes for years now and no doubt sampled thousands of enthusiast signature blends. What are some favourite ingredients amongst the, um, amongst the masses? Yeah, the clary sage is, is often a crowd pleaser. 
it depends on the season and it often depends on whether there's more guys or girls in the class. The guys lately have been going towards Pettigrain a lot, which I think is really cool because it's, it's an interesting scent on its own. It comes from the leaves of the orange tree. So it, it's green, it's citrus, and it's a little bit floral. It's a really fresh, fresh note. And that's been quite popular kind of in the spring time. And then as we get into winter, it gets a bit more of the spices, the warm, warm notes. So it's often changing what, what people are gravitating towards. Of course, seasonality is quite a natural influencer of our senses and emotions. Thank you. So um, this is the Melissa with Intent podcast, and I do ask all of my guests this question. What is your intent on a daily basis, professionally and personally? I think there's an element of conscious and subconscious to that. When I started um, Clean Slate and started meeting a lot more makers, there was a definite shift towards um, supporting local, buying small, knowing that things were made by hand and connecting with those things. So I think that's a very big part of intent with me. You know, I love to use my handmade ceramics for my breakfast and it feels different if I don't use that bowl for breakfast. Um, another thing that's become really important to me is is switching off and just connecting with myself and being more present in the moment. It's something I find really hard with running a business is you're often expected to be available 24-7. So really intentionally taking time to switch off. Um, it's pretty nerdy, but I just learnt to knit. So my kind of way of chilling out at the moment is knitting. I'm working on a really big blanket and that's just making me slow down, keeping my hands and my mind busy, but in a really therapeutic, slow-paced way. That sounds awesome. I used to knit with my grandmother, but I've completely forgotten. So, um, and is it something you do at the night time, middle of the day, morning? When's your favourite time to knit? Um, oh, it's kind of embarrassing to say, but it's become quite a priority. So sometimes I will sneak off from the workshop for a long lunch break and sit sit at home in the sun and knit for a while. I quite like to do it in the evenings as well. So what's next, Kat? I know um, I know you're loving your perfumery. I I think you're phenomenal at it. What's next for Kat Snowden? There's a few jobs on the go. I'm working a lot more with, with brands, creating sense for them. So working to other people's briefs, which is really exciting and, and pushes my boundaries. I'd like to do a lot more travel, a lot more going, going to the farms and meeting the growers and building relationships direct with the people that create the ingredients that I work with. Are we going to see a Kat Snowden signature scent soon? There's, there's a whole concept of a range in the works, um, mostly in my head, but starting to work on some blends. But me being a perfectionist and not having to put a deadline on myself, it could be some time, but it's going to be really exciting. Do you have a preference for roll-on versus spray, alcohol-based versus um, oil-based? I think it depends on the, the scents themselves. Um, I really love the feeling of, of rolling on the perfume oil and the feeling of oil on my skin. That being said, I have just sourced a beautiful organic um, perfumery alcohol that's 
sourced from grapes. It's from South Australia. So I'm really excited to play around with that and test it with some of the scents within the Melissa range. I think it's definitely got its place. And it's about educating consumers. There's a common misconception that alcohol is drying to the skin. And whilst there are certain types of alcohol that are definitely drying to the skin, they're not typically the alcohols that we use in perfumery. So it's about making the right choices and, and educating everyone as to why we're making those choices. And some alcohol-based can help with the duration and it can actually also make the scent, uh, for me, some of the scents do smell different, um, oil versus alcohol-based. Can you share a little bit of the science behind that and your thoughts around that? Yeah, sure. The, the, the scents, the aroma chemicals are being suspended in, in the different bases. So they have different chemical um, constituents or different chemical makeups to them that affect the way that it smells. So some oils, uh, some aromatic ingredients are much better diluted in oils, whereas some are better diluted in alcohols. And it's also just a matter of, again, tweaking and playing with your blends to get the, the optimum for whichever base you're suspending it into. For me, I really do try and reiterate and encourage our um, lovers to really connect and spend that time. There's nothing more beautiful than pulling out your natural perfume and having a moment and connecting inward because scent is so powerful. I use Modus number seven in the studio when I know it's time to sit down and do my emails that I really don't want to do. So I burn some Palo Santo, I pop on Modus number seven, and then my brain goes, okay no more messing about, it's time to do your emails and I get them done and then I get to go on to the next activity. Oh, wow, that's awesome. So you find Modus 7 is uplifting or it helps you focus or it's just, it makes you feel good? All of, all of the above. Yay. Um, getting up close and personal and, and thank you for that insight into what you use. Um, what is your skincare routine like? I'm interested to know. <laughs> it's intense. I have lots of products, my own, lots of other brands that I like to use. I'm a big fan of the double cleanse. So I usually use a balm cleanser and then an oil cleanser. Uh, big on face oils. Massive fan of the just a clean hot flannel um, to steam my face before and after cleansing. Face masks, scrubs, all sorts of things. And, and is there a set, you know, twice a day for your double cleanse um, once a week for the mask? Tell us, what's ideal? So my double cleanse is every day at the end of the day. A mask I like to do once or twice, probably twice a week. I'll alternate between a hydrating mask and a, like a purifying mask. And then a scrub, I usually use my coffee scrub, um, probably three to four mornings a week. You actually did come out quite publicly on your Instagram account um, last year and I think um, it was no more bull. I can't quite say the word because um, we're, not allowed, <laughs> we're not allowed that on um, our podcast, but no more bull S-H-I-T. Um, and you did actually admit to having a semi-breakdown. Are you happy to talk a little bit about that, Kat? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm often not a shy person, but... I, I kept that really well hidden for a long time and I think it's so important to have those conversations. So um, being self-employed, working mostly alone in my studio whilst I'm in a, a building with many other creatives, we're all head down, bum up, doing our own thing. And I, 
I began to feel quite um, lonely. I wasn't seeing my friends or family a lot because I was working all the time. Um, I'd made some bad decisions and, and opened a shop in the city that, that didn't go so well for me. So there was a, a kind of constant chasing my tail to bounce back from that. And it all just really compounded. I'm not someone who likes to ask for help. I would prefer to pull an all-nighter in the studio on my own than to ask someone, you know, a friend who is always offering to help to, to ask for an extra pair of hands. I just, I felt like I didn't want to, um, to interrupt other people's lives and, and my, my stuff wasn't important. So I did spend a lot of time on the floor in the back room of the studio where no one could see me crying and, and trying to figure out how on earth do I, do I turn this around? And it just got to a point where I decided that enough was enough and I had to, to move on and, and opening up and speaking to people really just, it lifted the weight off my shoulder and I had people that I didn't even know messaging me, popping into the studio with gifts saying that they had been in such a similar situation they currently were or they previously had been and that my words had touched them. And it just, it really blew my mind how many people uh, are suffering the same way silently. Like we really need to come together and, and support each other. I think that's so true. And was there, was there, was there a rock bottom moment? There was a rock bottom, but it, it lasted a while. It probably lasted a good month. I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping properly. I was super withdrawn, but then I was also really good at, at hiding it, at just saying the right things to just kind of go under the, under the radar. And I wouldn't want to leave the house. And there was no defining moment, but there was just, you know, the, I just thought this isn't you, this isn't making you happy. Like, pull yourself up. So a friend recommended I see a counsellor that she had seen who was fantastic. And then I started working with, with some other people within the creative world to just help pull me back up. And it, yeah, you just, you just have to talk and you just have to ask for help. And were you surprised by the response you received on social media? No, like I said, it totally blew my mind. And I'm not a person who ever airs my dirty laundry on social media or I'm saying dirty laundry doesn't even even sound like the right way to describe it, but I I'm not one who kind of who shares personal things like that on my personal or my business um, social media platforms. And I just yeah I just I wanted to bring awareness to it. I wanted to start conversations, but I really was shocked at at how much just a simple post really touched and connected with so many people. And there goes the positive of social media, I think. So well done and, and, and um, congratulations on being brave and showing your vulnerability. I think everybody, I think that's real. And I think that's the authenticity that we're actually seeking on social media. What are the key things that helped you? Um, you said you got some counselling. What is it that, you know, what are the top three things that really helped you and that you're really focused on now? So talking, definitely talking, eating really well. I think the first thing for me that falls apart when I get too busy or I get a bit down is I just eat for convenience. So enjoying my food and eating really nourishing food that fuels my body. And for me, running. Running is a great form of meditation for me. My brain switches off. My body feels good. I'm out in the fresh air and the sunshine. So for me, it's talking, food and running. Followed by knitting? Followed by knitting. Yeah, <laughs> knitting might, might um, move up the scale, I think. 
And so I guess now having had the experience you did last year, um, would you say that they are a priority over work? I don't know if priority is the right word. Like I love my work. Um, I enjoy it and it, it allows me to facilitate the lifestyle that I have. They, those things have, have a way more equal weighting to work than they used to. So work used to be number one, foremost, most important priority, but now the self care is, is, is kind of much more in an equal playing field. That's good to hear. Um, Kat, I think we have covered lots of different things. We've, we've talked about traditional perfumery, natural perfumery, your personal skincare, um, your rituals. Is there anything else you'd like to share? I think we've covered it all really well. Yeah, it's been great. Um, thank you so much, Kat. I've really, I mean, I love working with you. I think you're a phenomenal person. I think you've got phenomenal senses. Um, and I really connect with your value. You're a really kind, genuine person. Um, thank you for giving us a little bit more of yourself. You've given so much of yourself in the Melissa Perfume range. And I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've loved working with you. It's really push my boundaries and as I've said we I think we um we're cut from the same cloth we're on the same page and I really look forward to to working with you for a long time into the future thanks Kat and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening who have come to your workshops like me introduced to you through your workshops and found you to be such a generous spirit and um so I'm saying thank you from them too oh thank you (laughs) bye for now see you